This is The Mitch Gray Show, where we are bringing the art of humanity back to leadership. Subscribe to The Mitch Gray Show wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, subscribe to our YouTube channel, Mitch Gray Media, where you'll find each of our episodes and other resources that will equip, inspire, and empower you to lead well. And now, The Mitch Gray Show. What is up, brothers and sisters? Welcome to The Mitch Gray Show. Thank you again for joining us in 2022, new year, new guest. Same message. We're just here to inspire you and help you lead well. Um, I am your host, Mitch Gray, author of How to Hire and Keep Great People, Small Business and Leadership Consultant. And I have another great guest today. We've been building a relationship for a few months and uh, it's just amazing the people I get to meet in the world via the podcast. So Emily Sander, welcome to the Mitch Gray Show. Thanks for having me, Mitch. Yeah, I'm excited uh, to visit with you about, honestly, one of my top three or four favorite topics. Um, and so we talk about it a lot here on this show. We'll get to have your perspective, which is going to be amazing. Um, Emily, you serve uh, as a chief of staff for a digital marketing firm. You're also an executive coach working with business leaders around the world. And your book, um, Hacking Executive Leadership, great title, very poignant and uh, SEO friendly, as they say. So there you go. <laughs> nice job. So we always start with a big question, Emily. So I'm going to set you up for the conversation, uh, hacking executive leadership. Um, the question I have to kind of jumpstart everything is what in your mind, from your perspective, you have, I think, over 15 years of experience in the business world and a very variety of positions. What makes a good leader? What makes an effective um, leader when, when we're talking about leadership? The big thing that's coming up now is adaptability. And that's true in any time, but certainly in the last 18 months. Yeah. And I've seen leaders who are able to adapt quickly to unexpected circumstances, whether that's a global pandemic or something quote unquote normal happening in their business, who right. can think on their feet and adjust and not get too thrown off or jarred by something and lead themselves well, and then in turn lead their teams well. So I think adaptability is, is a big one right now. There's many more elements, but that's yeah. the one that's jumping out. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And that, that theme is obviously for various reasons over the last 18 months has come up a lot when, when, when I'm visiting with people that kind of focus on leadership coaching, it's like you, you in general, you better be able to adapt. You better be able to, uh, when, when the, when the seas are raging and the storm is rushing, but also during the calm moments, you know, it, I think a lot of people in leadership positions, you can you can kind of subconsciously take a paralyzing deep breath when it slows down and forget that the people around you still need direction. They still need inspiration and encouragement. And so that adaptability isn't just for the craziness of the last 18 months, but it's it's got to be solidified consistently. Right. And I think one of the things you mentioned there is also vision. So in good times and bad times, a leader can't have tunnel vision, meaning they're just looking at what's right in front of them. Sometimes they do have to get tactical and practical. And certainly I encourage leaders to get their hands dirty so they know what they're right. talking about, but they also have to be able to look up and see over the horizon and see the big picture and be able to connect the dots for themselves and their people of here's where we are now. It might be uncomfortable. It might be uncertain, but here's where we're trying to get to. And we have a plan and we have a general direction. We're all going to work towards together, I think to me, that's a huge leadership trait and quality as well. Yeah, I love that. 
I have a favorite saying that I kind of took a couple of different sayings and made my own. <laughs> and it's uh, feet planted, eyes forward. Oh, and it's this idea that we have to be fully present where we are, but we can't be staring at where we are. We have to have those eyes, those feet planted, eyes forward. And that really illustrates exactly what you're saying. I want to go back to adaptability. How does someone be an adaptable leader without being an in a magnet leader? In other words, without being chaotic, you know, sometimes people view adaptability as constant changing, but that's not really what adaptability is. So how does one kind of juggle and balance those two perspectives? That's a great question, because as a leader, you can also swing your team really mm. quickly in different mm. directions. And that can be jarring and disruptive for them as well. So you do want to hit a balance between the two. I think having a plan so you can change the plan is a, is a good way to describe it. So, <laughs> you know, yes. that Mike Tyson quote where, you know, everyone has a great plan until they get punched in the until face. They get punched in the face, especially true, from him, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's true in boxing, it's true in business, it's, it's true in life. So, you know, and it's a, it's a military term as well, where, you know, if you're a military general, you should have a plan. If someone goes, hey, what's your battle plan? You should be able to describe that and articulate it. But knowing at first contact with the enemy, it's going to change and you're going to have to adapt. So I think the same principle holds for business leaders. You should be able to stand in front of your leadership team or stand up in front of an all company team and articulate your plan and your intention and then know that it's going to change and be able to be flexible when that happens in the right ways. Yeah, it's like you have to have a launching point because if you don't have a launching point, you never launch knowing that after you launch, there's going to be things that arise. There's going to be challenges and hiccups and, and, you know, environmental changes like what we saw over the last 18 months. But, but if you never launch and get off the ground, if you never have that plan, then you have nothing to pivot from period. And so, yeah, I think that's exactly right. How, what are, what are some ways, because when we talk about leadership often, and I'm bringing this up because a, your experience and, and B, this, this subject has kind of, again, come up over multiple conversations on the show. How does a leader, it, you know, leadership can be an incredibly isolating uh, path. So how does a leader, we're talking about adaptability, we're talking about having a plan, we're talking about how to ha have a vision, but how does a leader include other voices in those conversations? Um, to, to both give their team a sense of pride and ownership, but also to know that they're not the only ones. This isn't a dictatorship, right? They're not the only ones casting the vision. So what are some action steps and things that leaders can do to kind of bring some in, in, inclusiveness to that conversation? There's a couple things that come to mind. The first is I see a lot of leaders be reluctant to ask for others' opinions because they are unsure of themselves and they're not confident in themselves. So they say, right. I'm the CEO, I must be the smartest person. I have to have all the answers. Mm -hmm. And that's actually almost the opposite mindset you wanna take. It is, hey, I'm, I'm, in, I'm on the team for a reason, as is everyone else on my leadership team. And if you have a great team and you design a great culture, which you know all about, it is bringing people in who yeah. uh, have different skill sets. It's a diversity of backgrounds and experiences that they bring to the table and then be very open about asking for their opinion. And even when, if you ask for someone's opinion, and even when they say something that opposes you or disagree, you need to 
be open to that at the very least, if not thank them. Thank you for sharing. That's really important to hear and get that perspective. And if you build that culture where people know that you expect them mm. to voice their mm. opinion and is, it is their job to provide what they're seeing from their different functional business area or just from their perspective, that right. builds a huge culture and it just kind of runs itself. But I've seen leaders clamp down where yes. they are, are scared and they want to make sure that everything's just so in a very hierarchical structure. And then I've seen leaders take another approach, which is be very open and be very encouraging. Um, and, and those have two very different results. We'll just say that. Yeah, there's really a threshold of permission there, right? It's, you know, one, one of the greatest things that a leader can do is give permission to their people, not only to perform, which I believe giving people permission to perform is incredibly valuable. You know, oftentimes leaders, you know, we hire people, we bring people on and we think, oh, well, they, the expectation is that they're going to work and do their job. All the while forgetting that the greatest key to empowerment is giving permission for them to succeed and do their job well. But then also that permission to share, you know, within that culture and that environment of what's taking place, how the job is working out. And then you go up the, the hierarchy per se of leadership and it becomes even more valuable that people have that permission to share. One of the greatest things a leader can do is give someone permission to fail. So when mm. someone comes to you and says, yes. hey, Emily, you're my boss. I need to tell you I just made a mistake. To me, that is a trigger for this is an opportunity. This is a huge moment because they feel all sorts of emotions. Right. And my initial is like, oh, crap. OK, let's figure it out. What, what did you do? But no, no, no. This is a time. This is a leadership moment. And I want to say, hey, you were being proactive. That didn't go the way we wanted it to, but let's right. you know discuss it, find a solution, and almost encourage them for, I don't want you to stop being proactive. I need you to go until you can't go anymore, and this was the exact right thing you did, and this is going to happen. So I think permission to share and permission to fail is, yes. are huge. I love that, I, and, and I'm right there with you. I, I was really fortunate very early on in my professional career to uh, work with a company that we called those teachable moments. We never used the word failure. And as leaders, we were really taught and coached that we look for, we seek out those teachable moments. We don't wait for those to come to us. And I know in a variety of different industries, that can be a little more challenging than others. But I think having that proactive leadership and that proactive approach, really what it taught the employees, and as an early employee, it taught me that it's okay. We want to take risks. We have to take risks because that's the only way we grow. It's the only way we bring about more success. And so you're exactly right. But if that culture doesn't exist and with taking risk and failure comes discipline, then you're just going to use the phrase clamp down. I mean, that's that clamped down leadership that totally just voids any form of empowerment. And what you get when you clamp down, I've, I've walked into companies where this was yeah. the culture. Everyone sits there keeps their head down yes. and does steps one through 10 over and over. And they hope and pray they don't make a mistake because if yeah. they do, they get their head chopped off. And I've literally walked in where you can feel the. Oh, you can feel it in the air. Yes. And people are scared. They're scared to make a mistake. And if that's the culture, people will respond by being a robot and just yeah. keeping their head down and doing what they do. Um, and another thing that came to mind when you were talking is this concept of, of failing. And I, and I, talk about this to people and my colleagues and clients, but if you take the learning out of an experience or out of an event and you apply it to the next time it happens or the next right. similar situation, 
that by definition is learning. Yes, it's that, not by failing. definition. It's not failing. progress. You've right. just made progress. So if you have as a leader can help them propel to yeah. to progress and learning, that that is you doing a great job. If instead you berate someone and rake them across the coals where they're not going to try again. Um, and that's when you're clamped down and you just keep people at the same level. So yeah, exactly. Yeah. What was the book years ago, probably two decades ago now, failing forward? Mm-hmm. Was that was that the book? It's been a very long time ago. R- really good book. And that was that was really, to my knowledge, one of the first books that faced the word failure head on from a messaging standpoint of you want your people to quote fail. You want your people taking risk. You as a, as a, as a human should be doing that as a leader, you should definitely be doing that. And so it really just strips down this idea that failure is bad because I I'm 100% in line with you. If you learn from it, you apply it, you move forward. You technically haven't failed. It just for one reason or another, didn't turn out the way you wanted it to at that point in time. Exactly. And I love the quote. It goes, I succeed because I fail more times than you will try. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I love that quote. It applies to business, yeah. life, career, anything. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, Hacking Executive Leadership. Um, that's your your latest book, your newest book. It came out in April, I think. So it's been out a few months. People can get that anywhere they order books. It's available on ebook. Is it is it available on audiobook, Emily? It is Amazon, Audible, Good. all the places you get a book. So every format. Awesome. So hacking executive leadership, great title, very, very pointed. But my question is from the book, what in the world made you want to write about A, executive leadership? And then B, what really intrigued you about writing some quote hacks, some mm-hmm. some ideas and advice on you know how people can better their leadership abilities? Certainly. It's, it's really, the book is a combination of my personal experience in the corporate world and leading and running various teams. And then also my experience as a coach and getting to work with some very interesting, talented business leaders from all around the world. And I kept seeing the same recurring themes coming up again and again, and kind of the same pieces of guidance or advice or conversations I would be having with people that would help them get to their next level, wherever they were in, in their journey. And so this book is a combination. It's a, it's a very quick read. And I've heard that, hey, I can you know, take this on a plane trip over a long weekend and get a lot out of it, right. which is my intent. Um, but really hacking executive leadership, that word hacking, it's not meant to be a shortcut. It is about your internal experience and your mindset and your approach and, and how you see the world affects everything you do. And it affects the relationships you have with people in your life, including colleagues. It affects the way that you lead teams and how you lead your company and how you make your mark in society and in your community. And so it's taking a look at the different lenses you're looking through and the different ways you're showing up and how to make sure your communication, uh, what you're trying to do with that and how it's landing to another person all matches up and aligns. So, you know, hacking executive leadership is a very personal and individual experience for everyone. It's about making you Mm. and your code, so to speak, the best it can be to, to serve and lead well. That's an incredible approach, incredible approach. I'm going to give people a little bit of a tease here. Talk to us about the swizzle <laughs> and that approach and, and what that means. Um, that's a really intriguing idea there. Just even the word swizzle. It's like, yeah, okay, so I was I was talking to someone really fast and it's a made up word. I blurted it out, like just swizzle that together. And it means take the. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. And they kind of like gave me a, head tilt and a quizzical eyebrow and then they actually knew what it meant by context which was yeah. in the case 
take the best part of these three PowerPoint decks, swizzle them together into the new deck we need and, and carry it forward. But that concept can be expanded. So in our example about adaptability, I'll give you an example. I was listening to a podcast with Floyd Mayweather and he's okay. a boxer. I don't know anything about boxing. I keep talking about boxers, but I don't know anything about boxing. And the interviewer kept saying like, why are you the best? Is it your training? You know, how, how quick your feet are, et cetera, et cetera. And Floyd Mayweather finally said, it's my adaptability. And that's what makes me the champion. I can adapt to any opponent. I can adapt to any round. I can adapt to any punch better than anyone else. And that's what makes me the best. And my mind was poof, like mind blown. Right. I can apply that to business. I can yes. apply that to my life. Am I adapting well to the different team meetings I'm in? Am I adapting my communication style to the different constituents I'm talking to throughout the week? So I swizzled the, the best part of that interview and the elements that were relevant to me and made myself better. That's amazing. And, and, and it's exactly right. And I've heard that Floyd Mayweather conversation as, as well. And, and it really is, you know, I was talking to a, a leader, a, a small business owner, right? Whenever everything happened with the pandemic, it was right after that. And my statement, which I kind of did the same thing you did, I kind of blurted it out. And then after I said it, I was like, whoa, there's something to that, you know? <laughs> I said, you know, the traditionalists are going to, they're going to die off through this time of adaptability because it wasn't like chosen adaptability, right? Like if you're a visionary and you've been in the business a little while, you can kind of begin to, it's kind of like an, an old veteran athlete. They kind of seen everything. They know everything. Well, this was unlike anything anyone had ever seen before in, in, you know, two, three, 400 years, whatever. And so, but I told this business owner, I said, the traditionalists are going to die off because there's no way you can survive what's happening by functioning on the old rules of the game. But the innovators, they're going to thrive because of that adaptability. And this guy's actually in the car business and, you know, the car industry is kind of one that's done okay, but it's also been a little bit, you know, smaller car businesses haven't been able to adapt very well just because they weren't set up. I mean, it was just a whole re-envisioning of everything. And, and that's a, exactly what you're talking about. It's that adaptability is so incredibly important. And talk a little bit about um, this idea, talking about traditionalists. You know, there are kind of rules to the game that we get used to. There are kind of expectations and functionalities and traditions. How does a leader respect and honor those because I believe we need to, to some degree, but not hold so tightly that when it's time to let go and really adapt, that they're able to let go with fluidity and move forward. How does one kind of prepare themselves for that? I'll give you an example. So during COVID, um, a lot of companies and a lot of leaders I was working with had PTO policies. You can only take, you know, paid time off or vacation and there was a bereavement one in there where immediate family, you could leave for if an immediate family member had an issue. And um, my, one client of mine had a team member who came from a, a culture and a background where their cousins were like their siblings. Yes. Like they grew up yes. in a very close, close household, grew up together. And so when one of them passed away, she wanted to go to the funeral. And in, in the, by the book, it was not allowed. But as a human and as a person in that situation, it was the right thing to do to let her go and, and attend that function. And so that was a time when being flexible and being fluid and saying, hey, I'm going to apply judgment and empathy 
to this situation. I'm like, yes, let her go. Conversely, during COVID, there were many people who had teams that were going to work from home environments, right? Mm -hmm. So you're no longer in an office. You don't have someone looking over your shoulder. And there was a, a team member and he was on a share screen with a customer and you could just tell he was playing video games um, during the call. And so in that case, it is no, hey, we still have to keep people accountable. We still need people to do the work and we still need people to serve our customers. So in that case, it was adapting almost that way and say, hey, nope, we still need you to do your job and we still are going to hold you accountable to that. So I think it's situational, situational leadership, but also understanding the the macro level or the big picture and just applying you know your human your, your humanity to the situation right. what makes people fear that you know you you, you hear and, and i love your example of the of the pto and the bereavement etc because that is that is a really crazy valued tradition that i was talking to someone the other day and they were talking about kind of the same challenges you know with with pto vacation sick etc because in, in the business world, that, that, those are kind of sacred cows. You kind of get what you get and et cetera. Um, but what makes people fear the situational decision? Because that's something that, you know, you see a lot in, often in leadership is it's like, well, sorry, we can't apply it because the book says. But then you see other leaders who have the courage to go, yeah, but it doesn't make sense right now. Um, what, what's kind of the motivating factor of that fear of having the courage to say, well, we're going to apply it differently? That's a good question. What's coming up for me is people don't want to be wrong. So if they say, oh, I'm going to give the wrong answer here and someone's going to call me out like, oh my gosh, Emily, you let her go to that. Well, now we have a problem and now you're in trouble and now HR is in trouble. Right. So I think there's, there's that piece, which, you know, is, is they're meaning well. Um, and I think some people, you know, this is just my opinion, but some people are more inclined to be rule followers and some people are more inclined to be, you know, that's, that's a suggestion. <laughs> right. um, and I can evaluate it and kind of apply it where, where necessary, but you know, you have a strong background in this, in this too. So I'd love to hear your opinion and your thoughts on that. Yeah. I, I, I think most fear is based on insecurity which alludes to your first example, you know, of, and I'm not saying all rule followers, followers are insecure by any means, but I do think there's this idea of liability of insecurity mm -hmm. of, Oh my gosh, I can't play. And I think there's this idea of pressure, the pressure from the standpoint of, well, if I give Emily an excuse in this moment, now I'm held accountable for giving everyone else an right. excuse. But that again, goes back to how we started the conversation. That's directly tied to culture, accountability, empowerment. If I'm a vulnerable leader and I lead from a place of compassion and empowerment, then really people are going to understand that spreads throughout the team. And there's no team whatsoever that if they're living from their core humanity, won't go, no, Emily really needs to be given grace in this moment right now. Right. And we all understand that. And I've experienced that, you know, when you build a strong enough culture, your team really sees it oftentimes before the leadership does, because they're kind of in the grass with everyone. And they've heard Emily comment about how much she loves her cousins. They've heard Emily comment about how much that fan. So really the teams can sometimes see it before the leadership. And I would say the reverse can happen. If the leadership, if the team sees that through the eyes of compassion and knows how, how much that means to Emily and the leadership doesn't let her go in that moment, it can actually backfire. And now the team's like, wait a second, what kind of leader are we working with here? You know, and that's, that's an interesting kind of conundrum to be in as well. I think, I think that's a great point because leaders often forget that 
their team pays attention to what they do. Yes. They're Their smart. Team is They're smart. Yes. Yeah. And you think you're going about your day, but they are noticing who you talk to, who you don't talk to, right. what decisions you make. You know, if you're if you're giving someone favorite attention, they they notice all of those things. So I think that's a great point. Yeah. And consistency is big. You know, when when they see that consistency over time and they know that they've seen you consistently make kind of abnormal decisions in the name of goodness, then they respect it when you do it again, you know, they kind of see, but, but again, it goes back to our adaptability and just kind of the other end of that, that pendulum swing that you alluded to was kind of that chaos and that, you know, that, that oddness that sometimes people can lead with as well, which doesn't bring about inconsistency. Absolutely. Yeah. I think another thing too, is um, a lot of people conflate fair and equal. So mm, yes. that's not fair. Well, fair doesn't mean everyone gets the exact same thing. Fair means fair. Right. So don't, don't complain. The two. I can literally hear my dad. Dad, that's <laughs> not fair. Emily, life isn't fair. So I was like, okay, <laughs> got it. Yeah, it's exactly right. I've heard people say that we just need to get rid of the word fair because the perspective of it is so vast <laughs> and then it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. I love that. I love that. So Emily, tell us a little bit about, um, you've got all this experience and, you know, kind of the corporate world and working with, uh, in, in a variety of positions. And then as a coach, what, what has made you passionate, you know, to, to write a book, isn't an easy thing for those that have never written a book. So <laughs> yep. then to tackle and take on a book that shares kind of the things you've learned and noticed in the world that you've lived in about leadership there's a passion there, right? There, there's a passion. You don't do something like that without a passion. And so what has made you have that fire about leadership, whether it's leading yourself uh, or inspiring other leaders to, to grow in their leadership development? Right. So I often work with my clients on finding their why and then digging into their surface level why to their big why. So I'll share with you my big why as to why I'm a coach. Love it. So I, be I believe that we are here to put good in the world. That's yes. our that's our purpose. And I believe that each individual has their unique gifting and talents and skill sets. And if everyone was playing to those strengths and if everyone was contributing at their best in those ways, the world would be a better place. Yes. If you think about if everyone woke up and were excited about what they were doing and were contributing in that way, the world would be a better place. Yes. And I, I truly believe that. So coaching and connecting with people and being a small part of their story and getting them to their next level or being that catalyst that kind of puts them on a different trajectory, that's very fulfilling. That's very rewarding. And I feel like that's my way to contribute, my small way to contribute to that larger vision. I love that. That's uh, very similar to, to my personal inspiration in life is, um, you know, if, if we have every voice at the table functioning in their full ability, then we've got a perfect humanity. And, uh, you know, I, I believe and I hang on to belief that we'll get there at some point. We will get there. <laughs> and so we continue doing the work, right? We continue doing the work. That's right. Yeah. It's a process. It's a process. Don't get it discouraged. Is, it is. We're yeah. Going. Hey, Emily, this has been great. Tell people if you have anything else you want to share about the book, uh, again, remind them where they can pick up the different formats and, uh, and then where they can contact you and stay in touch. Certainly. So the book is Hacking Executive Leadership, and that's on Amazon and Audible. I know people are busy and running around anywhere books are sold. And then if you're interested in, in chatting with me or just learning more about coaching, you can visit my website, which is uh, nextlevel.coach. So nextlevel, all one word, dot coach. And there's tons of information for aspiring and established leaders there. I love it. 
Thanks, Emily, for coming on the show. Um, we, I've enjoyed this conversation immensely. And uh, anything else you want to leave with the people before we sign off? No, I would just encourage people to keep going towards your dreams. We're, we're all going through this journey together. So let's help each other out. And um, Mitch, I really appreciated you sending me your book unsolicited yes. and I read it and got a lot out of it. So I would absolutely pick up Mitch's book. I, I've been in business for years now and I got a lot out of your book. So thank you. Yeah. Again, anywhere books are sold, go order it. <laughs> uh, ebook and audio book coming soon as well. So I'll be right there with you. But thank you so much, Emily, for coming on the Mitch Grace Show. Loved having you. Brothers and sisters, make sure you subscribe to the Mitch Grace Show anywhere you listen to podcasts and subscribe to our YouTube channel, Mitch Gray Media. We, I, can't, I can't tell you specifically yet, but we have some amazing things coming for you in 2022. And uh, hopefully it's going to blow your mind and help you grow even more. So have a great day and we will talk to you soon.